0: Welcome to Epiphany Fellowship's podcast. My name is Dr. Eric Mason, lead pastor and founder of Epiphany Fellowship in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Thank you so much for tuning into our podcast. Our desire is to see people everywhere show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can tune in every week to check out new messages. God bless you and take care.
1: How many of you know that there's just something about the name Jesus? I don't know what it is about that name, but it's just something about the name Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's get into God's word this morning. Y'all ready to hear God's word this morning? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Find me in the book of Psalms, the 89th chapter. As we continue our Advent series, here he comes. Psalm, the book of Psalm, the 89th chapter, beginning at verse three. If you're there, say Amen. If you need some time, say hold on. Amen. Y'all know where Psalm's at. All right. Uh, beginning at verse 3, you guys know how we do. I'll start us off. You guys join in and then continue reading verses 3 and 4 and then verses 24 through 29. Psalm 89, 3 and 4 and then 24 through 29. This is the word of the Lord. It says, You have said, I have made a covenant with my chosen one. I have sworn to my David my servant. Y'all can join in at any time now. I will establish your offspring forever and build your throne for all generations keep reading my If I could just give us a title for our time this morning, it would simply be Jesus, the end all be all. Jesus, the end all be all. Father, we are grateful and thankful that you are the only living God, that our strength comes from you, our hope rests in you, uh, that you, the only living God, are a good God, who has our good in mind, who sanctifies us through your word. Might we hope in your word? Might we believe your word? Might we be changed by your word? Might we love one another so that we can prove to be your disciples? Speak to us this day, O God, as you show us the true nature of your character and who you are. Father, we pray in the name that matters, the only name that matters the name of your son the Lord Jesus Christ amen amen you may be seated Jesus the end all be all I'm gonna make a confession for all parents and it is simply this that parents have a terrible track record of keeping promises you don't have to say amen Oftentimes, when you're a parent, or if you're a child uh, and you're thinking of your parent, you ask your parents for things, or your children come and ask you for things, or ask you to do things, and parents, we have the habit of quickly saying yes just to get them out of our face. Because they bugging us, because they they've asked us a bunch of times. So we say, of course, fine, whatever, go ahead, yeah, 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 yeah. But think about what that does in the mind of a child when a parent consistently says yes, they're gonna do something, promises to accomplish a task or to allow them to enjoy something, but never follows through on the promise. What is is built into the mind of that child in relation to how they now view their parent? Me me and my wife uh, have, uh, once we started having kids, we have decided to not say I promise, or yes to everything, what we do is we say, we'll see. There you go. (laughs) That's how you do it. My, My kids absolutely hate it because they're trying to pin us down. But we say we'll see because it leaves the option open that if we can do it, we will, but if we can't do it or don't feel like doing it, we didn't promise. So we tell our kids, we'll see. And we do this for two primary reasons. The first is because we want to make sure that we don't build a track record in the hearts and minds of our children that we will never deliver on what we said we would do. That they can't count on us to be men and women of their word. Because the second reason is that their ability to count on our word directly ties to what they think about our character. If you have any integrity at all, then your word is your word. Yes means yes, no means no, and you've gotta hold yourself to the promises that you've made. We find ourselves in this royal psalm where Ethan, a Levite, who's described as a wise person, is recalling to mind some promises that God made to his people as he's going through a season of difficulty. As he's experiencing some circumstances that make him have to wonder whether or not God is actually going to be true to his word. Have you ever been there before in your life where you were just so encouraged by God's word? You began reading and it began uh, stirring your heart up so much so that you began telling people about what God said to you in his word. Things that you thought that God promised to you or God was going to do. And then for some strange reason, it doesn't seem to be happening. Where does it take you to? How do you now begin to think about the God of heaven? And so Ethan here has experienced hearing God talk to his people and make these promises, but then what he sees with his eyes doesn't match what he believes in his heart about God. What he sees in his circumstances is kings that are being dethroned, enemies that are conquering the land and pillaging their homes, his brothers and sisters being taken into captivity and slavery. And so automatically, why else would he think, God, you promised that there would be an heir on the throne of David for everlasting to everlasting, and yet we're getting conquered by these small countries around us. Where are you at, God? Do you really love me? Are you really a God who keeps his word? Can the word of God be troubled, uh, trusted? So in the midst of these perplexing situations and circumstances and watching king after king die or be overthrown, Ethan is sitting here like, man, God, like, what you doing? I know I can't see it, because you don't tell me everything, but it doesn't feel like you really got my best interest at heart. And so he begins recalling to God what God said. He begins rehearsing to himself the promises that God communicated to his people. This reminds me very much of what Moses did in Exodus 32. I don't know if you're familiar with it, but God had called Moses up on the mountain and he was giving him the tablets, the the, the commandments, And the people got so irritated and agitated by the fact that Moses hadn't been down in a while that they thought that he died. Maybe Moses died and maybe God has left us. So what did they do? They they made themselves a golden what? A golden calf. Because they said, well, since God left us, we have to make another God to lead us for us to follow. And guess what God does? God says, Moses, look at these ignorant people down here. He says, look at these stiff-necked people down here. See, God used some crazy language to describe idolatry and some old craziness when we rebel against them. He says, look at these ignorant people that I just saved out of the hand of the Egyptians. I split the Red Sea for them. I've given them manna. I've made sure their clothes did not wear out. They've had food to eat and drinks to drink. And look what they do. They would replace me so easily with something that I made. He said, guess what, Moses? I'm going to make you a great nation. What an offer. God says, I'm going to destroy this entire people and make a great name out of you. I would have been like, all right, God, let's go. (laughs) Who doesn't want a great name? All All of what we do right now is trying to build a name for ourselves so people remember us. And Moses, Moses doesn't say anything to God. He doesn't accept God's offer. In fact, he rejects it. He says, he says, no, God, I can't have you make a great nation out of me because what would they say about you? What would your enemies say about you if, they, if you made a great name about me? They would say, look at this God who delivered the, the, the Israelites out of the hands of the Egyptians to bring them into the wilderness just so he could destroy them. He said, I'm much more concerned about what people say about your name than what they say about my name. And Ethan here is saying and and you know and you you know what God had to do God had to respond to Moses not because of Moses but because of himself because Moses was only communicating to God what God had already said he would do in his own words and so Ethan here is taking up Moses's uh, rod and he's saying listen if I really want to hold God to something I have to hold God to himself because when God makes a covenant, when God makes a promise, he conditions it upon his own character, which means that even though you might fail the conditions of the covenant, God will hold his promises true to form because of what he said, not because of what you did. And so Ethan says, he says, listen, Man, I, 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 I know my circumstances don't feel like it. I know I can't see what God is doing, but I believe something about God, and if I want God to respond, the way that I know God will respond is if I pray back to him his word. How often do you pray back to God his word when you find yourself in the face of difficulty? Where you're confused about whether or not God is actually gonna come through on his promise, how often do you bring his word to mind? Not to remind him of what he said, but to remind yourself of what he said. So Ethan says, you know what? He says, I'm going I'm to remind myself of what God's word said. I'm going to encourage myself because there's nothing circumstantially I can use to encourage me like God's word. There's nothing that I can place my hope in like God's word. And so I'm going to encourage myself. But look where he starts. Look where he starts in verse one of chapter 89. He says, He says, I will sing about the Lord's faithful love forever. Isn't it amazing that in the midst of difficulty, opposition, and, and perplexity about what God is going to do, the place he starts is worship of God's faithfulness and his love. Amen. Imagine where our life imagine where we would take ourselves if we could bypass not going into our minds about God doesn't care about us and doesn't love us and he's not faithful, if the first place we went was God, I know you're faithful and I know you love me despite what I see happening around me. Imagine what heartache you could bypass. Imagine what pain you would not have to deal with. Imagine how you would enter into your difficulty. You would walk a a little taller. You would walk a little straighter. Your chest would be out a little bit more. Not because of anything that you trust in yourself to get through this situation, but because you place your trust in the character of God. He says, I'm I'm going to start. I, I know I don't know where this is going to end up. I, I, I know that I don't know what's going on around that corner that I can't see. But guess what? God does. And, and not only does he know and does he see, but I trust him. And so when I face opposition, when, 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 when difficulty meets me at my door, the first thing I'm going to do is I'm going to worship. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say I'm gonna sing about the Lord's faithful love and I'm gonna proclaim his faithfulness to all generations instead of going to my best friend and talking about how unfair life is I'm gonna go to my best friend and say man I'm so thankful that I serve a God that loves me I'm so thankful that I serve a God who's faithful even though I don't understand what he's doing my God is so good that I don't have to know every detail of what he's doing to trust him said I'm going to start with worship and so Ethan begins to go in his mind and pull back up in the Rolodex of scripture God you know like I I remember what you said to your servant David and what he's recalling here is the promises that God made to David when David was king over in second Samuel chapter seven and he says "I, I know what I see going on in Israel right now I see the apostasy I see the idol worship. I see kings that can't stay on the throne because of death and because they're being conquered by outside nations. I see all of that. But, but God, I, I, there's something deep in me that keeps bringing your word up to mind, that keeps reminding me about your promises, that keeps reminding me that I need to go back in your word and, and realize what was it that you said exactly so I can hold my hat onto it. And he says, he says there are a couple of things that I remember that you told uh, David, which brings me to my first and only point this morning, which is simply this. You can trust in God who keeps his promises. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. See, this whole psalm is really a summary of Ethan walking through the promises of God to let us know the reason why I'm bringing this up is because that I, can, I know I can trust God because he keeps his promises. And so if God promised it to David, And I know what his character is. He has no choice but to keep his promise. Because if he doesn't, then God will not be who he says he is. So he begins to bring up to mind what God promised David in 2 Samuel chapter 7. What did he promise David? He promised David a great name. He said, I will make for you a great name. He promised them a promise of place for his people. I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may dwell in their own place and be disturbed no more. He promised David rest. I will give you rest from all your enemies. He promised David a child who was yet to be born that would succeed him and establish his kingdom. The Lord will make you a house. And I will raise up your offspring after you who shall come from your body, your physical body, and will establish your kingdom. He was talking about his son that would be born next, his son Solomon, who would be king. He says, I promised him a throne of his kingdom, that the throne of his kingdom shall be established forever and that the throne will not be taken away from him, even though his actions will justify chastisement. He said, I I, I know that I'm going to put one of your heirs on the throne, and not even just one, but even the ones after him, and I'm going to promise to be with them, even though they're going to deserve for me to remove them. Can you imagine that? Like, God makes a promise ahead of time to you, knowing that you're going to mess up, but promises to be with you anyway. And it's It's not, it doesn't just, listen, it falls short of him just being with you anyway. He knows that you're going to mess up and he's still going to exalt you in positions of power anyway. He says, he says the throne will not be taken from Solomon or his descendants and that David's house, his throne and his kingdom will be established forever a literal forever, not just like forever when you just being like, you say forever, but it just means a long time, but it comes to an end. Here, they understood God's promises to be that the promise he was making to David's house, which refers to the royal dynasty of David, the continuing posterity or his future line, there would be a a lineage of David on the throne that would not be destroyed, that that would last forever, that his throne which suggests the authority and the power that the king has would last forever. That his kingdom, the political kingdom in which the king has dominion over to rule would last forever. The, the forever emphasizes the right for David and his heirs to rule, and it will never be taken away from them. Now why is this important? This is important because the first king of Israel, Saul, had his, his lineage taken away from him because of disobedience. Right, right. In 1 Samuel chapter 13 and chapter 15, Saul begins to feel himself a little bit, and even though God gave him particular commands about waiting for Samuel to come and offer sacrifices, about going and, and destroying the Amalekites, Samuel did his own thing and then made the, the, made the case, like, I'm sorry, sorry, not Samuel, uh, Saul made the case, like, God, I'm sorry, I, I listened to the voice of the people, and they swayed my mind. And God said to him, well, since you trust the people more than you trust me, you can't be king. And so he said, I was going to make an heir of your line. I was going to make you the future of Israel, but no more. I'm going to remove you from office and I've placed it on your neighbor who I favor more. Now that neighbor was the King David and the Bible describes David as a man after God's own heart. Now how can he say that about David when David done murdered a man because he slept with his wife and he was trying to cover it up? And then he done, like, he done killed people. He done manipulated situations. And yet the Bible calls him and describes him as a man after God's own heart. Because when David was faced with the reality of his sin, he did one simple thing he repented to God. See, what what makes David different is not that he did not have sin. What makes David different is the fact that when his sin was placed before his face, he said, God, I see it, and I'm not going to do it no more. See, David was a man of repentance. And so so when we get to 2 2 Samuel chapter 7, David is coming back from war, and he brings the Ark of the Covenant back to war, and he's chilling in his house, and he says, God, How can I be chilling in a dope crib like this and you in a little box? I'm gonna build a house for you. And God says, nah, I don't want you to build a house for me. It's been too much war in your time. I'm gonna let your son build the house. However, because you wanted to build me a house, I'm gonna build you a house. And he said, this house I'm going to build you ain't made with hands. This house that I'm going to build you has to do with those who sit on the throne after you. And because of your faithfulness to me, I'm going to show my faithful love to you so that there will never be a time when somebody from your lineage is not on the throne. God, how can that be? How can someone always be on the throne when me as mortal man die regularly? How can we stay on the throne when we reject your word and lead the people into idol worship and apostasy? How does that even work in the mind of God that he would make such a a daring promise to people he knows is gonna fail? Why would God do that? Why would God show his chesed love, his loyalty faithfulness, his covenant faithfulness? Why would he do that for people who don't themselves believe in the covenant? interesting because not all of these promises would be fulfilled during David's life and that's part of what Ethan is wrestling with here because he's living as a man in a particular time remembering the promises of God and seeing elements of the covenant be fulfilled in his life through Solomon and and other kings and yet he knows that not all of the covenant has been fulfilled and he knows that for some reason, he has hope that the faithfulness of God will keep his promises even though he can't see it. He knows that the faithfulness of God will keep his promises even if he's no longer here to experience it himself. He's not even trusting in his ability to see the the promises of God fulfilled. He's just trusting in the character of God to bring it about at some point in time. Would you be satisfied if what God promised you didn't come about until after you were long gone? Would it be enough for you? Would God's character still be the same? If you never got to put your hands on the promise, if you never got to set your eyes on the promise, would it still be the same? That's what Ethan is wrestling with. God, am I going to worship you anyway? Believing that you're going to keep your promise even if I never see it. He was trusting in God's kesed love, his covenant loyalty to him and his people despite the fact that he might not be around when all of the covenant was fulfilled. It's interesting because they were Believing, he was hoping, the other prophets were hoping in the fact that God had already prepared from ages past an anointed one who would come. And he conditioned the covenant upon himself where he said, I'm going to make sure the anointed one comes regardless of what you do, regardless of what the enemy does. I'm going to make sure that my will is made manifest because I'm going to bring it about. And so God then begins to give hope to his people in the midst of difficult seasons through his prophets. See, I didn't know if you know it, but not. But sometimes reading the prophets can be very depressing. (laughs) Reading the prophets is hard. But one of the things I love about reading the prophets is that God sends them not merely to bring judgment upon his people, but God sends them... To hold them accountable to their sin and yet bring hope to them in the midst of it. There is never a time in the prophets where God gives judgment to his people without also giving them hope. And the hope was rooted in the fact that despite their rebellion, God was still their God, that despite their shortcomings, God was still their God. That despite the fact that they needed to get their behind whooped, God was doing it from a place of love, a place of care and a place of concern and embedded in those prophecies, embedded in the words of the prophets that God communicated to his people, he gave little nuggets and little hints. And little sneak trailers and previews of this anointed one that was to come. I'm not sure if you've read about any of them, but in Solomon, he calls him the Rose of Sharon and the Lily of the Valley. Isaiah calls him the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the Prince of Peace. Jeremiah calls him a righteous branch of David and the Balm in Gilead. Ezekiel calls him the shepherd who will lead and guide my people. Zechariah calls him the king of the whole earth, that when he returns and comes back will stand on the Mount of Olives and the mountain will split before his feet from the east to the west. Now you might call him Waymaker, <laughs> Or you might call him promise keeper. You might call him healer or provider. You might call him protector. I don't care what you call him as long as you call his name Jesus, the one who came from heaven to earth, the one who had all authority and the right to sit on the throne, but instead decided to wrap himself in flesh and come to earth to live a perfect life and die a perfect death in your place. I don't care what you call him as long as you know that he is the one that they were talking about. When they prophesied that there would be one who would crush the head of the serpent even though his her heel would be his heel would be bruised that he would get up with victory in his hand on the third day and that he would be the righteous one of Israel to sit on the throne in David's place as the ideal king forever. So as long as you know that his name is Jesus see they understood that there was a hope that someday there would be a Davidic king that would come who would meet every condition of the covenant and bring full restoration to the Davidic covenant and sit on the throne as God's ideal king forever that when he returned and the crown was placed on his head, and he sat down on the throne of God at the right hand of glory, that there would never be a time, unlike the other kings, he would not die, but he would reign forever. Where they were disobedient, he would do all things that pleased God. Where they failed, he would be victorious. And it is in Jesus Christ that Ethan was hoping in When he said, I'm hoping for the promises of God, believing that what God said come to pass would come to pass actually comes to pass. And even though Ethan didn't see it with his eyes, you get the privilege of beholding the fact and knowing the fact that Jesus Christ himself was the fulfillment of every promise that God made to David. He's a promise keeper. It's interesting that even though David's dynasty, the men who would sit on the throne, even though they would fail, God promised that there would be somebody on the throne forever. And it doesn't mean that particular occupants of the throne would not, would always be successful regardless of their faithfulness to God. It didn't mean that The lineage or the dynasty wouldn't go into obscurity at times like it did when they were in the exile. But what God is communicating through this covenant with David is that even though you couldn't keep your end of the covenant, he's communicating that despite you and in spite of you, I'm going to keep my promise. I don't know what you're going through today. I don't know what you're believing God for. What trouble has come to your door that has made seeing the promises of God a little hazy. Where you're unsure of whether or not the God who promised it will deliver. I'm here just to tell you that he's a promise keeper. That he has a track record of keeping his promise. Matter of fact, there was a hymn written by S.C. Kirk where he was wrestling with this idea. As he looked out into his life and all of the turmoil and difficulty he was facing, he began to wrestle with this idea. Does God always keep his promise? And he came to 1 Kings chapter 8 verse 56 as he was reading his word. And he read this. As he was reading, he said, It said, Blessed be the Lord who has given rest to his people Israel, according to all that he promised. Not one word has failed of all his good promise, which he spoke by his Moses servant. And as he read those words, his heart began to get stirred. Not one word has failed of all his good promise. And he got stuck there. Not one word has failed of all his good promises in such a way where he he, seems like he's crying out from the pages now. Will you believe that not one word has failed from all his good promises in your life now when it doesn't seem like it? Will you trust that not one word has failed from all his good promises? Will you believe God when he says in his word that not one word has failed of all his good promises? He was so stirred by that sentence that it led him to write this hymn. And it says, the Lord hath declared, and the Lord will perform. Behold, I am near to deliver. A refuge and fortress, a covert and storm, he keepeth his promise forever. Forever, forever, oh not for a day, he keepeth his promise forever. To all who believe and to all who obey, he keepeth his promise forever. My heart may sink low in the depths of its woe, but never he tells me, oh, never. The frail bruised reed will he break, and I know he keepeth his promise forever. Forever, forever, oh, not for a day, he keepeth his promise forever. To all who believe and to all who obey, he keepeth his promise forever. Father, we thank you, oh God, today that you are a promise keeper, that we can hold you at your word, that your word is enough for us that though we may not see what it is that you're doing, though we may not see the end, the fulfillment of what it is that you've promised, God, help us to be a people who trust in your character, who trust in your word, who trust in your track record. Help us to not need every detail solidified in our mind in order to trust you, but help us to believe you and take you for your word, that you are the God who keeps his promises. Thank you for keeping your promise in Jesus Christ. Because it is in him that we have life, we have health, and we have strength. Father, we thank you. We praise you. We give your name glory this day. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.
0: Amen. Praise the Lord for the preaching of his word. Thank you for tuning in to today's message. I hope that it was a blessing to you and it was aiding in your life to help you to show off the glory of Christ in every area of life. If this message has been a blessing to you, we want you to consider partnering with us in ministry so that we can maximize what God has called us to do locally, nationally, and internationally. You can go to epiphanyfellowship.org, go under give and consider donating. Thank you. Take care. See you next week.